Hello, everyone, and welcome to the April 20th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation news. Michael Drabeau, the owner and operator of the Pacific Hospital of Long Beach, has now filed a lawsuit against the 30 individuals who sued him and their attorneys for malicious prosecution. The lawsuit names three prominent law firms and the individuals they represented when they filed about 30 lawsuits last year. He alleges that each of these individuals falsely claimed that he and his company conspired with doctors to insert counterfeit screws into their spines. Last February, a Los Angeles Superior Court judge dismissed three of the 30 cases against Drabeau, Pacific Hospital of Long Beach, and the physicians accused of using the alleged counterfeit surgical screws. Almost all of the rest have been voluntarily dismissed. One of the difficulties in these cases was the inability of the plaintiffs to prove what hardware had been implanted since it had not been surgically removed and examined. Drabat seeks at least $30 million in damages. His new lawsuit names law firms Kabatic Brown Kellner LLP, Crotchet Petrie and McCarthy LLP, and Knox Rickson LLP, and the individual attorneys in each firm who prepared and litigated these claims, and the 30 people who were the plaintiffs. Drabat alleges that these 30 plaintiffs were non-patients because the surgeries did not take place at the Pacific Hospital of Long Beach. Thus, as non-patients, he in essence alleges that whatever happened to them was not of his making. He claims the surgery took place at Parkview Community Hospital, Riverside Community Hospital, Rancho Specialty Hospital, all three in Riverside, and Tri-City Regional Medical Center in Hawaiian Gardens. Drabat alleges he had no financial interest, no participation in, nor any involvement whatsoever in these facilities. His new lawsuit further alleges the individual lawyers repeatedly disregarded multiple attempts to have these claims voluntarily dismissed from the onset. This is the second suit filed by the former hospital executive against the trio of law firms that alleged the counterfeit screw conspiracy. Last October, he filed a $50 million defamation lawsuit alleging that the attorneys defamed him and his company on television and radio. And now our fraud report. Former Amtrust workers' compensation adjusters have been arrested and charged with insurance fraud. 52-year-old Catherine Gregori of Hercules, California, and 52-year-old Adelia Dolores Belfry of Oakland were arrested and charged with conspiracy to commit insurance fraud, false and fraudulent claims, claims adjuster fraud, grand theft by false pretenses, forgery, and money laundering. In addition, Belfry is charged with two counts of identity theft. Gregory, an ex-employee of Amtrust North America, is alleged to have created several shell companies under which she submitted 137 fraudulent invoices, which Belfry, a senior claims adjuster at Amtrust North America, is alleged to have secretly approved. 
Over an eight-month period, Gregory and Belfry executed a scheme which allegedly resulted in over a half million dollars of company funds being deposited into bank accounts controlled by Gregory. Gregory paid cash for a 2014 Mercedes G550 using almost $135,000 of these proceeds. The vehicle was seized during the execution of a search warrant by district attorney investigators. Belfry remains in custody on $325,000 bail and is charged with 15 felonies. Gregory is charged with 13 felonies. Former Senator Tom Calderon has his criminal trial now set for August 11. Calderon was indicted in February 2014 on 24 felony charges, including bribery, money laundering, and tax fraud. He accused of accepting $88,000 in bribes in exchange for official actions involving bills affecting the film industry and workers' compensation benefits. He has pleaded not guilty, and his trial is now set for August 11. These charges carry a maximum sentence of 400 years in prison. Federal prosecutors have served subpoenas on about 10 California legislature staff members who may be called as witnesses in the trial. It does not appear that any of the subpoenas issued so far are for senators, although Assemblyman Adam Gray's office confirmed he has been subpoenaed based on his work as a former aide to Calderon. Gray was Senator Calderon's legislative director from 2008 to 2011, advising him on bills coming up for votes. U.S. attorneys would not say how many subpoenas have been issued, but capital sources who spoke on condition of anonymity said about 10 had been delivered. Senate President Pro Tem Kevin DeLeon's office refused to clarify whether the Los Angeles Democrat had been subpoenaed, but his spokeswoman said that Senator DeLeon has been asked to assist the prosecution as a witness in the Calderon trial and, as has been the case from the very beginning of his of this process. Since the senator's been cooperating in this matter for nearly two years, he expected to be called and he's prepared to serve as needed. De Leon's name is mentioned 56 times in the affidavit laying out the federal government's allegations that Calderon accepted $88,000 in bribes from an undercover agent and a hospital executive. According to the affidavit, Calderon sought De Leon's support for legislation to maintain workers' compensation rules that aided hospital executive Michael Drabat as well as a bill to give tax credits to low-budget independent films. An undercover federal agent posing as a movie producer gave a $5,000 campaign contribution to De Leon, which the senator later returned. A year after his indictment on federal corruption charges, Calderon awaits his day in court, working as an acquisitions manager at Red Hill Real Estate Solutions in Corona. The company specializes in buying distressed properties. His attorney, Mark Garagos, said Calderon is helping with the 330,000 pages of discovery documents provided by the U.S. Attorney's Office, including tapes and transcripts for 2,200 recorded telephone calls and meetings. Garagos called the case 
the definition of entrapment, saying, most of these so-called offenses were completely manufactured by the government. But U.S. prosecutors say the legal standard for entrapment is that there must be no predisposition uh, towards bribery. They believe they can meet the legal standard that there was a predisposition. Gregos has represented top star Michael Jackson, actress Winona Ryder, and singer Chris Brown, and other political figures, including former Representative Gary Condit, former Los Angeles City Councilman Nate Holden, and whitewater figure Susan McDougall, a former business partner of then-President Clinton. Some of the true religion brand gene makers have been arrested and accused of an $11 million fraud. 57-year-old Sung Hyun Kim and her 59-year-old sister, Caroline Choi, were CEOs of sewing companies that were subcontracted by true religion brand genes, were arrested along with their 71-year-old CPA, Jay Kim, on 18 felony counts of workers' compensation fraud. The three allegedly conspired to underreport more than $78 million in payroll to multiple insurers, including the State Compensation Insurance Fund and two insurance companies owned by Berkshire Hathaway. The two were CEOs of Merico Incorporated and SF Apparel Incorporated, both located in Vernon, California. They are accused of conspiring with their CPA to hide tens of millions of dollars in payroll to avoid paying workers' compensation insurance premiums. The state fund discovered that payroll reports showed significantly less total payroll than reports submitted to the Employment Development Department. Evidence also showed that many employees were paid under the table through a bank account that, has, that was never disclosed to EDD or to their insurance carriers. If convicted, Sung Hyun Kim faces 28 years in state prison and her bail is set at $700,000. Caroline Chow faces 15 years and her bail is set at $430,000. CPA J. Kim faces 22 years, and his bail is set at $520,000. The Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office is prosecuting the case. In what appears to be a very busy week, the Santa Clara County District Attorney's Office announced that a 32-year-old Lodi man has been arrested and charged with felony workers' compensation fraud. He was videotaped repeatedly skydiving despite claiming that he was unable to work due to a workplace injury. Donald Ray Simmons Jr., a Santa Clara concrete cutter, is accused of defrauding Arch Insurance Company of approximately $52,000. He claimed that a December 2013 injury that he sustained while working for a Santa Clara construction company was causing him excruciating pain, making it so he could not use his left arm to drive. But he was filmed repeatedly boarding an airplane in full jump gear and later landing with tandem clients strapped to his body. He controlled his parachute and gathering it using his left arm with no apparent distress or difficulty. 
He was also videotaped using his left hand to drive a car with no apparent restriction of movement. Simmons faces a maximum sentence of five years and four months of convicted. In an unrelated case, the Santa Clara County District Attorney also announced that the owner and operator of the Floor Center, a tile and floor retailer and remodeling company in Santa Clara, has been charged with workers' compensation insurance fraud. 61-year-old Ahmad Molay of San Jose was arrested on one felony count of workers' compensation premium insurance fraud. Molay allegedly misrepresented the nature of his business to his workers' comp insurance carrier by claiming the floor center was only a flooring retailer when in fact it also handled remodeling construction projects. Prosecutors also allege he grossly underreported his company's payroll. His alleged fraud resulted in paying uh, far less money to his carrier, and he faces up to six years in jail if convicted. And in regulatory news, after over a dozen acts of Congress and innumerable reams of debate, it is time to say goodbye to the Medicare Sustainable Growth Rate Formula. Starting back in the 1980s, Medicare payments to doctors inflated rapidly, growing at an annual rate of 13.4%. Congress took note and reformed the system. The budget deal struck in 1997 by then-President Clinton and the Republican-controlled Congress included the Sustainable Growth Rate Formula, or SGR. In very short terms, the SGR boosted payments when the growth rate of spending on physician services was less than the growth rate in the gross domestic product. Likewise, it cut payments when physician spending grew more rapidly than GDP. The SGR seemed like a nice little incentive for doctors to rein in their prescribing pens and be more efficient, except that the incentive was spread across over a million physicians, creating a classive collective action problem. No one much seemed to care until 2002 when Medicare's base payment rate for these services was cut by 4.8%. Suddenly, the flaws in the formula got everyone's attention and Congress passed a series of temporary blocks on fee cuts. However, as of April 1 of this year, doctors were set to receive a 21% cut in payments if Congress did not act again. Just in the nick of time, a bipartisan bill passed the Senate after the House overwhelmingly passed the Doc Fix Bill in March before leaving town for a two-week recess. President Obama is expected to sign the bill into law. The bill would repeal the current Medicare payment formula for and replace it with one that would increase payments to doctors by one-half of 1% every year through 2019. After that, doctors would receive bonuses or penalties depending on performance scores from the government. Their scores would be based on the value of the care they provide rather than on the volume of patients they see. The legislation ends the annual scramble by lawmakers to pass a temporary patch to keep the payments from plummeting. 
the Congressional Budget Office estimated that the bill would increase the deficit by $141 billion over the next 11 years. But the CBO also said the bill spends $900 million less than if Congress simply froze Medicare payment rates for doctors over the same period. The formula approach to setting base payments rates is gone, replaced with automatic increases for all doctors from 2015 through 2019. For six years after that, no automatic increases will be provided and doctors' respective rates will be altered based on their performance under a merit-based payment incentive system. A provider's performance in these categories will be reflected in the Composite Performance Score, a 0 to 100 scale that informs the level of reimbursement. The threshold would be established annually that providers would have to meet in order to be eligible for enhanced rates. Those who fail to meet the threshold would be at the risk of reduced rates. It's a zero-sum game, and physicians who make more will be offset by physicians who make less. This long-awaited transformation of physician payments is expected to stimulate payment reform throughout the healthcare industry, including workers' compensation. It will, of course, take years for this to take place. The Office of Administrative Law has approved the DWC's final version of the Workers' Compensation Information System Regulations. The California legislature enacted sweeping reforms to California's workers' compensation system in 1993. Then, the legislature directed the DWC to put together comprehensive information about workers' compensation in California. The result is the WCIS, which has four components. The first reports of injury reporting guidelines were implemented in 2000. The subsequent reports of injury reporting guidelines were implemented July 1st of 2000. Reporting of annual summary of benefits began January 31st of 2001, and medical bill payment reporting regulations were adopted in March 2006. Medical bill payment records are processed by diverse organizations, large multi-state insurance companies, smaller specialty insurance carriers, self-insured employers or insurers, third-party administrators, as well as bill review companies. The organizations have widely differing technological capabilities. So the WCIS is designed to be as flexible as possible in supporting medical data transmissions. EDI is the computer-to-computer exchange of data or information in a standardized format. The new amended regulations brings California reporting requirements into compliance with release 2.0 of the technical guidelines. The effective date of the new regulations is April 6, 2016. The notice and text of the regulations can be found on the WCIS regulations page. An investigation by federal OSHA has determined that Union Pacific Railroad violated the Federal Railroad Safety Act when the company retaliated against an employee for reporting to his supervisors that he was hurt while lifting materials and equipment. 
As a result, OSHA has ordered the railroad to pay the worker $100,000 in punitive and compensatory damages. OSHA claims that this case follows a pattern of behavior by Union Pacific towards its injured workers. OSHA recently reported that the railroad has faced more than 200 whistleblower complaints nationwide since 2001. Barbara Gotu, the acting OSHA regional administrator in San Francisco, says that Union Pacific has repeatedly retaliated against workers who reported on-the-job injuries. In the current case, an employee in Roseville, California, reported his injury. But Union Pacific allegedly charged the employee with causing his own injury by not using proper ergonomic and safety techniques. The company suspended him without pay for five days. But in November 2012, Union Pacific apparently changed course and expunged the employee's record and paid him for the five days of his suspension. In another case, Union Pacific allegedly disciplined a 35-year employee after the locomotive freight engineer reported injuries sustained in a December 2013 collision. The company has been ordered to pay the engineer $350,000 in punitive and compensatory damages and reasonable attorney fees, remove disciplinary information from the employee's personnel record, and provide information about whistleblower rights to all its employees. Union Pacific strongly disagrees with OSHA's findings in this case and intends to appeal. Union Pacific is the principal operating company of Union Pacific Corporation, which functions in 23 states across the western two-thirds of the U.S. It has 47,000 employees and operates 8,000 locomotives over 32,000 route miles. OSHA enforces the whistleblower provisions of the Federal Railroad Safety Act and 21 other statutes protecting employees who report violations of various safety laws. Employers are prohibited from retaliating against employees who raise various protected concerns or provide protected information to the employer or to the government. Employees who believe that they have been retaliated against for engaging in protected conduct may file a complaint with the Secretary of Labor to request an investigation by OSHA's Whistleblower Protection Program. The Department of Industrial Relations has now launched the Return to Work Supplemental Program, an important component of SB 863. This fund will distribute an additional $5,000 to each eligible injured worker who has a disproportionate loss of earnings. The implementation of this program is based on findings of studies done by the RAND Corporation. DIR Director Christine Baker said that many workers face economic hardship when they suffer disabling work injuries, and this supplement will help them regain some of those lost earnings. DIR inaugurated the new program with an online portal as well as kiosks that connect to the portal in its offices across the state. This allows injured workers to easily file the application in five easy steps. The new regulations require that the application be submitted by electronic means only. 
to be eligible for the return to work supplement, the individual must have received the supplemental job displacement benefit voucher for an injury occurring on or after January 1, 2013. All completed applications will be reviewed for eligibility within 60 days from the date of filing. Payment to workers will be made within 25 days of the eligibility determination. These regulations were effective on April 13, 2015, commencing 30 days after the state and continuing until the Administrative Director of the Division of Workers' Compensation amends the current voucher form to include notice of the return to work supplement application process, all vouchers issued by employers shall be accompanied by a cover sheet prepared by the claims administrator containing a notice about the new program. An application for the return to work supplement must be received by the DWC within one year from the date the voucher was served on the individual or within one year from the effective date of these regulations, whichever is later. Payment shall be made directly to the individual and it is not assignable before payment. An individual dissatisfied with any final decision of the director on his or her application for the return to work supplement may file an appeal at the Workers' Compensation Appeals Board District Office. And in financial news, after years of struggle, higher pricing and improved underwriting are credited for workers' compensation insurers' better financial performance in 2014. The industry's financial turnaround from the lean years of 2010 and 2011 has translated into declining workers' compensation advisory rates in many states throughout the country. Executives at the National Council on Compensation Insurance confirmed that this year has been very favorable for employers. The Washington-based National Association of Insurance Commissioners reported that four of the five largest workers' compensation insurers had lower loss ratios in 2014 compared to the prior year. Travelers, the largest workers' comp insurer by premiums written, saw its loss ratio decline last year, as did Hartford Financial Services Group, American International Group, and Liberty Mutual. However, Zurich Insurance Group, the fifth largest workers' comp insurer, saw its loss ratio increase nearly 5 percentage points. Hartford credited the turnaround to advances in data analytics in its underwriting claims and risk engineering, which are leading to better outcomes for injured workers and its customers. While most of the largest comp insurers only saw small decreases in their loss ratios, it does reflect stronger underwriting on their parts, according to the NAIC. In the case of Liberty Mutual, cutting back on risky workers' comp accounts likely also helped improve its results. An insurance analyst at Morgan Stanley said improved losses can be attributed in part to workers' comp insurers pushing for price increases during the past several years. Workers' comp insurers also have benefited from using claims management strategies to help reduce the severity and frequency of comp claims. That includes use of outcomes-based medical providers for treating workers and efforts to control the use of narcotic prescriptions in comp claims. 
the turnaround has translated to lower advisory rates for employers across the nation. In the 38 states where NCCI provides rate-making services, the agency requested 30 workers' compensation rate decreases for the 2014-2015 policy year and only six rate increases. Meanwhile, loss ratios for the top 25 workers' comp insurers as a whole remained relatively flat at about 60.8% in 2014, up from 60.1% in 2013. Smaller insurers were most likely to see an uptick in their loss ratio. It is unclear why some insurers' loss ratios increased last year. Some experts say there is usually a little bit of uptick in loss exposure associated with an improving jobs market. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Skarin, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.